9, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf. I am here in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK, and I am joined for an intimate conversation with two of our regulars, Ed Luce, who is off at the offices of the Financial Times somewhere in Washington, D.C., some tall glass office tower, undoubtedly with... It's not It's not glamorous, Ed. It, I mean, people uh, imagine it, you have a very it, glamorous life. It's it's serviceable. Uh, I wouldn't describe it as, you know, um, uh, Wall Street. And... At her fabulous Virginia estate, we have Rosa Brooks, um, um, and uh, I, I, she's just gotten in from evaluating her vineyard. How's all that going at your estate? Oh, the, the, the vineyard is doing well. Uh, now I'm up in my, in my little tiny study under the eaves. Uh, the children have abandoned me, but the dog is still here. That's nice. How long does it take for a dog to settle down? We've had this dog for a month. And like for 90% of the time, he's like a super like friendly, like chill dog. And then for like five or 10% of the day, he like literally runs laps around the room, knocking over whatever will be knocked over. And I'm just wondering, does that go on for a long time? I mean, he's eight months. We should actually do this whole podcast on, on dogs. Um, Yeah. um, And my, my thought for you, David, is, is that you need, this dog needs some additional time to race around. Maybe you should take your dog to dog daycare. My dog goes to dog daycare where she's learned the alphabet and she finger paints. um, (laughs) And it gives her all kinds of, uh, she's friends there. Um, So maybe your dog needs to go to dog daycare. And if not, your dog needs frequent dog park visits to run off that energy. But that probably won't actually stop him from racing in circles around your house every now and then. No, no. Well, I go to, and we go, and we go to the dog park in, in New York, in Washington Square Park. There are all these dogs. They run around like complete maniacs. Um, and I, like, chase them around, and it, like, takes 15 minutes just to get the leash back on him. And I come out exhausted, and he's like, now let's go home he's and break the furniture. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, maybe when he's like nine or 10, he'll calm down. Oh, good. Well, that's only eight years and four months. Um, Ed, do you do you send your cats to daycare? I, I don't. Um, uh, my cats, my cats are, are, are still alive. So, you know, maybe I ought to. Um, but um, are no, you trying they, to get rid they, of your cat? Remain... No, but every but week, and Ed, Ed always comes in with these kind of great, colorful stories. Like, oh, it's the funniest story. I left both cats in the microwave for seven minutes. <laughs> no, there's been there's been no there's been no sort of ambivalent manslaughter kind of situations recently, or cat slaughter situations with my with my cats, um, because I'm I'm really terrified of my daughter. She she thought she thought for a while I was sort of. At the very least, being negligent and um, perhaps, you know, perhaps trying to get rid of them. 
which is not true at all. Um, but but uh, there were, you know, I like to say there's good news and bad news about my cats. If people ask how they are, the good news is they're still alive. The bad news is they're still alive. And, and that's the only thing to report, really. Uh, well, that's... <laughs> It's, uh, I'm weird. I think there's a group of our listeners who are glad that your cats are are still alive. So, you know, one of the things I try to do on every episode is talk about potential constitutional crises. Um, and I know we did that on the last episode, and it was frustrating as usual because Rose is like, no, that's not a constitutional crisis, just something nice awful. You know, it's just something awful that our Constitution permits. Well, I'm just wondering, <laughs> you know, like what about like not having cabinet secretaries just having acting cabinet secretaries well i mean i mean um i think that as we ended our last podcast talking about marie kondo's suggestion that you should declutter and rid yourself of anything that does not give you joy uh having a having a functioning cabinet and functioning national security council clearly did not give donald trump joy and he is ridding himself of of the clutter of actually having a government. Um, uh, so yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, I, I suppose it, we can only blame Maria Kondo for all of this, but um, does our constitution permit it? This is a very, you know, the president can choose for himself uh, for most positions. Well, he can choose, he can choose the, who he wants in positions for himself, um, obviously, and he can choose not to fill vacant positions um, the cabinet, as we know it today, was uh, you know built up slowly over over a couple of centuries as we added cabinet departments and made them quote unquote cabinet level. You know the Constitution doesn't require most of that. Uh, so yeah, he can basically have no government if he wants. Um, uh, he has to have. He has to have um, a few things, but it's not clear where where it's where it begins or ends. So yeah, I'm going to say again, once again, I'm sorry, David. No constitutional crisis, just another form of stupidity that is essentially permitted under our constitutional system. Well, there's also corruption. I mean, you know, he just nominated a guy to run the Interior Department who's a lobbyist. The guy who runs the EPA is the lobbyist. You know, there is that kind of horrible stuff. But Ed. You know, in the last podcast, we talked a little bit about what you should write your uh, column post the uh, inaugural address. Um, now, now we're past that a little bit, but um, State of the Union, yeah, State of the Union. Excuse me, um, but uh, I'm still in shock from the inaugural two years ago. So, there you go. <laughs> but um, but uh, but we're past that a little bit. But I think Rosa has an excellent idea, and that is that to to you know, write a column where you could either blame or say that uh, Trump is following the Marie Kondo approach to his cabinet, which is he's decluttering it. It's it's not overstuffed. He doesn't use it too much. Uh, and what's in it are things that bring him, you know, joy. Well, I, I've not had the pleasure of being uh, invited around to um uh, in any of the Jared uh, or Ivanka um, residences, either here in Calorama in Washington or, or the, in New York, um, New Jersey, um, but you know, I imagine that I imagine they're also condo fans and very decluttered, sort of sleek, older millennial um, style, um, uh, uh, which is fitting because essentially, the Trump White House is slimming down to his daughter and 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 his son-in-law. You know, his de facto chief of staff is Jared, 
uh, Mick Mulvaney is sort of, um, you know, manfully trying to tr- tr- trying to impose a system but failing completely. And the Axios leaks of the last whatever it is, um, 60 days of um, Trump's sh- uh, sh- schedule um, and the fact that 60 percent of it is executive time. Um, it shows that he's also decluttering his calendar. Um, and uh, it's it's becoming, I think, as several people have remarked, the, the, the Trump administration more and more like the Trump organization um, before before he was elected president. Namely, there's this sort of um, uh, c- completely capricious um, family head, family patriarch, who everybody, everything flows from, who... Um, you know, has his moods, the entire building shifts with his mood. Sometimes he's paying attention, sometimes he isn't. The entire game is to flatter him um, and supply him, you know, with, with the things that keep him happy um, from praise to cheeseburgers. And the White House is becoming more and more like that. And, you know, that, that suggests that the very, very slim guardrails um, the very thin ones that you saw when John Kelly was chief of staff uh, are now gone. That you know the uh, ability to constrain Trump or at least delay him um, or change the subject, get him get him to think of something else, distracting you know is is one sort of key um, way of getting Trump not to take a bad decision. These that very slim guardrails are becoming fewer and fewer, thinner and thinner, and and uh, he's just going to be a lot more Trump unbound, Trump, um, Trumpified Trump um, in, in the second half of his, of his presidency than he was in the first. And so um, Marie Kondo should be proud of herself. This is decluttering. We're, we're stripped bare to, to Trump, the essential Trump. Well, but, but you know, Rosa, um, just taking this metaphor a step further, maybe three steps too far at this point, um, but it seems like even the stripped down cabinet that Ed is talking about may get a little more streamlined because uh, Wednesday of this week, the House Intelligence Committee is voting. Uh, and by the time people listen to this, they may have already voted um, to release the testimony transcripts from Don Jr. and Jared uh, to, the, to the Congress. Um, and that'll be oh, fun. Yeah, that ought to be fun, but it also ought to be, you know, indictment palooza for the Mueller crew, right? I mean, um, we we got to believe that Don Jr. lied on those, and and Jared, you know, took a hundred tries to get his, uh, you know, financial disclosure forms right. Um, so one suspects that he may have made a few little misstatements. I, I, yeah. Possible. My my guess is that the Mueller team already knows exactly what both of them said uh, in their congressional testimony. That they're not going to be suddenly surprised by by anything. So my I don't I don't think what? that it necessarily will cause some sudden dramatic shift. Uh, I think whatever is in the works is already in the works. Oh yeah, no, no, I'm sure it is. But I think you know, like evidence. You know, they need evidence, don't they? Well, I, I think they probably already have that. In other words, uh, oh, you I think mean they already? Yeah, you, exactly. You think they've got the transcripts already? I suspect they do. I see. Um, well, so you're a lawyer. I may be, I, I may be wrong, but so you're a uh, lawyer. How long guess, do we have yeah. to wait before Don Jr. gets <laughs> indicted? I mean, I don't know. It's just it's it's agonizing, isn't it? I, I mean, 
I have no idea, and nobody has any idea. And uh, acting Attorney General Whitaker, uh, who recently said the Mueller investigation is winding down, doesn't necessarily have any idea. Yeah, but he, he obviously, when he, he said that, to. he obviously had a case of malaria or some kind of brain fever. Because, <laughs> I mean, I don't um, know if you saw the close-ups, but he was like drenched in sweat as he was trying to figure out what to say there. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that... Robert Mueller uh, has maintained an impressive degree of silence, um, almost entirely consistently, with a few minor exceptions. Um, and the media continues to to play this game of, oh, it's almost over, it's almost over, any day now, any day now. But he's on his own timeline, and I have no idea what that is, and neither does anybody else. Well, Ed, this is really unfortunate because every single day Don Jr. goes onto the Internet and he tweets out something that really makes you want to punch him in the nose, really makes you even more convinced than ever. He's one of the great jerks of all time. Recently, in the midst of the governor of Virginia's problems with blackface, he goes after the governor of Virginia for, you know, um, apparently being a racist and said no Republican could get away with this. And I was like, dude, are you the most least self-aware person on the planet? Your grandfather was in the KKK. He and your father got investigated by the Justice Department for discrimination. Your father is a known racist. Your family name stands for racism. How can you possibly do this? Does he annoy you as much as he annoys me? And is he the most annoying member of the inner circle? I think he's um, one of the most hateful people in in modern in modern life um it's it's hard you know you i could spend weeks i could sort of disappear into a rabbit hole of um rage going through the history of his tweets and his public appearances and his comments um the fact that he is considered by the rnc and i like that by the way i think we should add a rabbit hole of rage to our silo Oh, yes. yes. In, fa in fact, Ed can be in charge of the rabbit hole of rage. And for any of you who would That'd seek to re <laughs> reside in the rabbit hole of rage during the coming apocalypse, please direct your inquiries to uh, at Edward G. Luce. Go on. And the great thing is cats don't go down rabbit holes. So, you know, I, I could probably stay there quite, quite comfortably. Um, but How do you um, know that? How do you know cats don't go down rabbit holes? Well, my cats wouldn't. I know my cats. Oh, I, I know my cats. They wouldn't go down a rabbit hole. They would. They would probably attack a rabbit if it came out of a rabbit hole. I just don't think they'd go down it. Um, but um, uh, but you know, I can't prove. I can't prove that. I just thought it was a good line. Um, but to, to get back to my rabbit hole of rage um, about about Donald Jr. You know, the, he he is a popular item. He's a big crowd draw. Um, on the campaign trail for, for you know, for candidates, you know, uh, running in the midterms. He was like the number one after after his father. He well, was the most requested. Well, um, what does that say to you? Uh, I mean, do we have to move out of this country? I mean, well, I mean, I mean who would want to listen to this schmuck? What? Sorry. He knows all the buttons to press. And the one you mentioned, the, the most sort of recent deeply enraging tweet he had against Northam for being a, a racist, um, you know, it, it exemplifies what Trump's strategy is going to, to be here. As to some extent, it has been all along. 
um, which is it doesn't matter how completely um, hopelessly um, nasty and um, and cluttered and riddled our record is with uh, nastiness, cynicism, racism, misogyny, and so forth. If we catch you out once, we're going to make everybody think it's equivalent. We're just going to beat that drum. We're going to repeat it like Goebbels, morning, noon, and night. That, okay, okay, we said this, Northam said that, we're all the same. Oh, and Democrats were on the wrong side of the Civil War. And we will count on people's ignorance and count on, you know, Democratic and liberal sort of inherent self-defeating sense of fairness, um, you know, which always begins with, well, he sort of has half a point, you know, and that our record isn't um, t- t- in order for that strategy to work. Um, and D- Donald Jr. Is, is the best at doing that precisely because he enrages us so much. He, he, he is a, an enragingly helpful um, uh, a, a character for, for 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 the RNC and for and for others hoping to hoping to cater to the base. Well, let me ask you a question, Rosa, because I don't want to pick on Don Jr. exclusively, but in a recent issue of Newsweek, which doesn't actually have issues anymore, I don't think, but it's online, but maybe it has issues. I, 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 <laughs> it has I, issues, but yeah, not issues. Yeah, but right, <laughs> but but you know who has issues is Eric Trump, and 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 he in an interview said that. Um, it's kind of anti-American for the government to give people things and that Americans shouldn't be handed things. They need to work for it. Now, as I think about this comment... Unless they're handed things by their parents. Right. It dawns on me that this maroon... And by the way, that is a term that I derive from Bugs Bunny, who who uses it instead of moron. But this, this... literally one of the dumbest human beings who's ever been on the public stage got everything, but it was handed to him, but he's now saying that, you know, like poor Americans shouldn't have, you know, healthcare from the government or, you know, you know, I don't know what else he's talking about housing or education or minimum wages or something like that. Is it possible that he is more odious than Don Jr.? Uh, it's anything is possible, David, but I think it is, it, it's unlikely that he is more odious. Uh, he may be just as odious. He's not, he, one sign that he's actually not as dumb as you think is that he doesn't speak out quite as often as Don Jr. So he gives us fewer opportunities to assess his dumbness. Um, I don't know there. I, I remember when I first saw them, uh, uh, you know, I, I was not a habitual follower of Donald Trump. No, wait, tabloid. but this is this is not like Brett Kavanaugh. You didn't like date one of these guys. No, no, I, I never dated any anyone related to Donald Trump, <laughs> to the best of my knowledge. But but I do remember that when I when I first saw them on television, I hasten to add, uh, uh, early in the Trump campaign, you know, Ivanka and Don Jr. and and Eric, uh, I thought. They're like central casting Hollywood villains, you know, that they've got the slicked back hair. They, they look like the characters in the thriller who are doomed to some kind of terrible fate, that they're sort of the, the minor villains uh, and they will be disposed of and sacrificed at some point. And I, I do find it kind of stunning that anybody finds Don, Don Jr. or Eric uh, uh appealing or charismatic in any way. It's a surprising, it's a mystery to me about the American people. Americans generally are not big fans of inherited wealth. They they prefer people to make their money 
the hard way. Um, but on the other hand, the sort of the propaganda of the Trump camp has been amazingly successful. Uh, I saw something, I can't remember where it was, but there was some sort of poll quite recently on how many Americans, even people who don't like Donald Trump, still believe that he was a, sort of a self-made billionaire. Um, uh, it, and it was pretty high, <laughs> um, you know, and nothing could be further from the truth. He's neither nearly as rich as he has always claimed to be, nor was he remotely self-made. He got his money from his daddy, just as Don and Eric, Don Jr. and Eric are getting their money from their daddy. And Jared Kushner got his money from his uh, felonious daddy. Um, yeah. and, and by the way, is, if you have any doubts about his felonious daddy, I refer you to Chris Christie's book um, or any comments. <laughs> just Google Chris Christie Kushner father because he's he doesn't they pull his punches. Well, Chris Christie was the prosecutor who helped put him away. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And I'm going to give you a chance here to redeem yourself with a nation of cat lovers, because clearly one of the pictures that we've seen of Don Jr. and Eric is when they're holding a leopard that they killed because they're, quote, big game hunters. Um, and surely when you saw this, you were as repulsed um, as uh, I was, perhaps, and anyone was. And I ask you the question, um, would you support um, the death penalty for big game hunting? Because, you know... I would. <laughs> I, I was. I was trying to remember whether it was a lion or a leopard. So thank you for for, for reminding. Um, it was one of the most repulsive images um, um, of of the whole Trump era. Um, uh, his two sons, sort of proudly, boastfully, gloatingly, uh, um, uh, there uh, uh, standing there with a dead, a, a beautiful dead wild beast like that, and a, a rare one, and it, and it's. If I did believe in capital punishment, it would be it would be a capital offence, um, no doubt about it. Um, I think, think Don that, Jr. and Eric should um, be fed to the lions. Yeah, that would they be. Just, yes, they should. <laughs> they should be fed to the lions, um, and um, I, you know we should all sort of, sort of charge ticket prices for people to watch it. We'd, we'd make billions. We'd make enough to, you know, build a build proper protected safaris with proper wildlife no no we borders. should put we should build a wall around the safari parks because that would give trump his wall we should put don and eric inside the safari parks and we should just like slash their achilles tendons and just see what happens <laughs> oh, david you're getting a little carried away here oh, sorry <laughs> but i would rather go back to you know because where the power resides in the white house is um um, obviously, ultimately with Trump, but I think the sort of the really operational close relatives are Jared and Ivanka, um, and uh, you know I think that in a way that they're more they're, they're more problematic because they do appear, particularly Ivanka, to be a bit more progressive and open-minded and liberal and decent uh, in some some of their instincts than these two unreconstructed Trumpian sons. And uh, in a way, that makes them worse um, because they're attempting to put a PR gloss on the whole Trump enterprise. Um, you know, this stuff about parental leave that, that, on which Ivanka has gotten nowhere. Um, her Women's Entrepreneurs Finance Initiative by the World Bank, you know, which is just complete, um, you know, reputational laundering, image laundering. 
Um, but full marks to the bank, by the way, and I understand why the bank's done it. But um, they're, they're actually more, I think, insidious in that respect, in that they 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 put a slightly cuddly gloss on what what is a, a, a completely uh, nefarious enterprise. Um, they do. You know, one thing we haven't really talked about at great length here, and Rosa as a, um, um, a security expert, in addition to being a legal scholar, is the 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 recent revelations um, about um, Jared Kushner being rejected twice for um, uh, security clearance by the professionals, um, and that and I thought we knew that already. I, I I thought that that had come out early. Well, that Did had we come. We, well, there was the revolution, the revelation in the past week or ten days that. You know, they had been rejected and then somebody overruled it and gave him the clearance. But then, of course, the agency, which hands out top secret, some of the uh, higher levels of clearance, um, denied him those higher levels of clearance. So, um, you know, it, it raises the prospect that either A, he was seen as unfit for this because he was compromised in some way, or B, he was operating at the highest levels of the U.S. government without the necessary intelligence. Uh, and it seems like C, all of the above, is the operative case. And I was just wondering yeah, what I, your I view is. Yeah, I think it's probably C, all of the above. I mean, on, on, you know, presumably it was the president. It was Donald Trump who said, give him, give him the clearance. Uh, the president does have the ability to share what information he wants. Uh, our system does not... Uh, did not contemplate the possibility of a president who was himself compromised by a foreign power. Uh, so it is a presidential prerogative to say, you know, I want this person read into such and such, um, even if the agency objects. Um, it is also uh, not exact. It would not be a first for the CIA or other intelligence agencies, however. Uh, for better or for worse, it would not be a first for them to uh, ignore presidential orders, because the, the the you know the challenge for the president just as it's also a challenge for Congress, a challenge for any kind of intelligence oversight or intelligence of things that are in the top secret world is that you don't know what you don't know. So you can say to them, "I want you to tell me absolutely everything," and they can say, "We are telling you everything." Um, but if you haven't been privy to the information in the first place, you can't really evaluate whether what you're getting is everything. So I, I think it's, it's quite likely that Jared has not gotten everything, um, whether you regard that as, as, you know, score one for the national security of the United States or you regard that as further evidence uh, that uh, uh, intelligence agencies are unaccountable. Uh, it, it, that, too, it may be see all of the above. Um, but but, yeah, I. Kushner, between his uh, ties to Israel, between his misstatements slash lies on his SF-86 security clearance uh, forms, um, possibly between his business dealings with uh, Russia and other foreign actors, you know, there was plenty there that, that one can imagine would have given the security clearance people pause uh, from the beginning. Jeez, oh, jeez. But essentially what we're getting at, and we sort of have gotten here in a sort of not quite circular route, Ed, is that the president doesn't use the cabinet he has. He doesn't replace the cabinet he loses. As you say, this pushes more and more onto his inner circle. His inner circle 
tend to be his family because he really doesn't have any friends. And his family range from being odious to criminal to stupid to under suspicion by the intelligence community for how they're compromised. Uh, and they are gaining an influence every day. Um, and I don't know, but this just gives me a stomachache. I'm trying to think what I had for lunch, but it was just salmon. So there's no explanation other than we're in a mess. We, we, we are in a mess. I mean, I think, you know, um, we've talked about this before, but uh, and I'm, I'm at some point going to write, write a, a, um, a sort of more detailed um, piece about this, but I, I do think that my country, Britain, is in a bigger mess um, than the United States. And one of the reasons that I say that is not, not only because Brexit is for keeps, whereas Trump can be turned out, um, and probably, well, hopefully will be turned out in 2020 if he makes it to 2020. Um, you don't, you don't think that some future it. British prime minister can go into Brussels, crawl on his knees to the headquarters of the European Union and say, sorry, did never mind. We didn't mean that. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's I think that's possible as long as he's prepared to lose his job back home the next day. Oh, awesome. um, you know, because it's got it's got so much, so much more entrenched. Um, I mean, just just as a sort of measure of that, um, if you poll people in Britain and ask them which party do you identify with, roughly twenty two percent of Britain say no party. Um, but then, if you poll Britons um, and ask them which they identify with, Remain or Leave, only seven percent of the country doesn't identify with either. That is the cleavage in Britain. It's no longer party. It's no longer ideological. It's, it's um, remain or leave. And this is, this is, um, you know, this is the fault line um, in Britain for, I think, for the foreseeable future. So, uh, you know, one of the reasons I'm more optimistic or, or rather, sorry, less, less depressed about the American outlook than I am um, the British is because the left is having a very healthy debate. Um, and uh, the, the left is thinking, it, it's engaging with ideas, it's um, asking very big questions, uh, you know, about the role of billionaires in society or, uh, um, you know, whether estate taxes um, should essentially be freebies for, for, for the 0.01% who, who run things, whether oligarchy is acceptable, whether, I mean, there's all kinds of notions that were banned on the polite left which 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 was the you know the the only electable left until which very very recently, not very left, uh, which made it not very left, um, and um, are, are now not being uh, you know are now are no longer banned are now being debated with with quite a lot of robustness, um, and I find that I find that to be a sign a very hopeful um, sign, and and you know then I look across the Atlantic um, to Jeremy Corbyn. Um, who is aiding and abetting this uh, act of national suicide um, uh, um, of a hard Brexit, doing nothing to stop it, and who at the same time is, um, you know, uh, in spite of having been great pals with the IRA during the heyday, um, bringing about a situation where the IRA will take up arms again in the space of eight weeks. If we get border controls back, there will be, there will be as the euphemism goes, troubles. Um, there will be a, re a resurgence of, of terrorism, 
on both sides. Um, and, um, you know, a Labour leader who isn't even prepared to call for Maduro to, to he's such a Chavista um, that uh, he isn't even prepared to call for Maduro to be removed because Maduro, um, Venezuela's Maduro, remains a hero, a socialist hero to him. So it's a very different, it's a very different um, climate here in the United States on the left. And that, that's something relatively recent that's given me some 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 cause uh, to feel energized about America's future, at least one prospect of America's future. Well, um, I, I'm going to turn in a second to Rosa to ask if she has some other nominee for a country that's worse off than we are uh, in the leadership department. But Ed, I just wanted to get one last comment from you, given what you just said. And that is that there was a tweet not too long ago, a day or so ago, or two days ago, uh, in which uh, Alexandria Casio Ortez uh, tweeted out that she really enjoyed the conversation she had with Jeremy Corbyn, and yeah. he gave he gave her a lot to think about. and And uh, was wondering what your reaction to that was. Is it contagious? Yeah, I mean, it was. I had to do a double take. I couldn't believe that um, um, that she'd allowed herself. She was so naive as to uh, as to a take the call and b boast about it um, in public. You know, you have to remind yourself she is twenty nine. She's not experienced at this game. She's gone like a meteor, sort of from 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 obscurity to being um, a globally well-known name that can stop Davos in its tracks. And you know, we we forget she's very young, and you know, she 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 hasn't had much time to study <laughs> other countries, let alone you know how Washington works. So I, I put it down to a. Um, uh, a, a useful solecism uh, and sort of misjudgment. <laughs> um, if I'm wrong, and if she's actually a Corbynista, then you know um, she will discredit herself very quickly. Well, Rosa, do you see how I did what I just did? I gave him a chance to comment because, and, but I posed the question to you beforehand, thus giving you plenty of time to think of a really pithy answer. Well, uh, I th- yeah. but I think, David, that many, many countries are have even worse leadership than the United States and the United Kingdom. Uh, uh, among them, Russia, Venezuela, etc. The tragedy of our current situation is that we never expected the UK or the US to have political woes that bring us uh, into the same ballpark as other disintegrating uh, anti, anti-democracies. And that's where we unfortunately are. I, I sh- I share Ed's sense that we may, in the U.S., may yet climb out of this. Uh, we may not, but but we might. Um, but but you know, I think we have always taken pride. Uh, it's not in 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 being. We we we've told ourselves that we are the best governed, uh, and I think that the the Anglo-American world has had a tremendous amount of smugness about. Uh, the stability of our political systems and the the health of our democratic cultures. Um, the last couple of years in both the U.S. and the U.K. have made it very clear that those uh, democratic cultures are far less robust than we imagined them to be, um, that the uh, political rules that we have lived by uh, are are not capable of, of helping us. Uh, in the face of sheer craziness from some from some leaders, uh, and you know that's I think been a terrible shock for us. So so we still have plenty of competition in terms of basket case states, um, 
but we just never expected to find ourselves uh, even even on the verge of basket caseness. But that's where we are. It's true, but it could get worse. Um, oh yes, it could. You know, and I know that's always your view on everything. Um, but you know, uh, you know, we get a few moves here and there, and and face the prospect of all of our leadership, you know, passing on to Trump's sons, Uday and Kuse. Um, and you know, that's, you know, not so, uh, not, not so good either. Uh, well, um, I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to stop myself from going down that path. And I'm going to say Corey's out sick this week and Rosa has taken upon herself the tiara of optimism <laughs> and, and pointed out that as bad as Donald Trump is and as bad as Jeremy Corbyn is, you know, you could still have Nicolas Maduro or um, Kim Jong-un or, right. or, 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 <laughs> you know, some, somebody like that. And arguably they would be worse. Um, and uh, so, you know, I think that's the kind of upbeat note we try to end on each week because this is a <laughs> uplifting, inspirational podcast found under inspirational podcasts and your iTunes guide uh, right after the Franklin Graham podcasts on how you could be a racist serial sex abuser and still enjoy the support of the evangelical community. Um, but uh, find us wherever you will find us. Come back again week after week. Um, you will see here Ed Luce, uh, his cats, Rosa Brooks, her dog, famously known as Rosa Brooks's dog. Does your dog actually have a name or is it just Rosa Brooks's dog? My dog, of course she has a name, uh, um, but she's not going to reveal it right now. It's it, oh, She wow. doesn't like to have a large social media presence. Wow. Rosa Brooks's dog. It, an, it would an, actually be great to call your dog classified. Wouldn't that be a great name for a dog? <laughs> It would Not be really a good. No, I think anonymous would be a good name for a dog. Um, this is this is this is our dog, anonymous. You know, once my, I have two daughters. One is named Joanna. One is named Laura. And Laura, when she was a little tiny girl, used to pronounce her L's like Y's. And I remember once walking into a store, and you know, the person leaned over the counter to hand her a cookie or something, and said. What's your name, little girl? And she said, Yahweh. And the person <laughs> behind the counter said, Yahweh. You know? <laughs> That's bold. <laughs> I thought that was a really bold choice, as names go. Um, uh, I, I have a friend in Australia whose dog is called Romeo. And whenever he shouts out for Romeo, he gets... Um, a whole bunch of other people. <laughs> yeah, wherefore out there. That could get irritating. Yeah, it really. <laughs> well, it's his own fault. Yeah, it really, it really it is. is. His own fault. I also knew two kids once in New York City whose parents did not feel that it was appropriate to name children, that children should be allowed to name themselves. So these two kids were called by their parents, Bougie and Foofy, until they were five or six when they were able to pick their own names, um, which I always thought was like a formula for, um, you know, real, you know, real problems. But there is actually a what, debate. But what names did they pick? 
I don't recall the names that they picked, but it was, oh. I'm sure it was something like, you know, hedge fund or something. I mean, it was some, you know, weird offbeat name as, as well, but it did. I actually had a serious conversation with somebody the other day that there is a small sort of protest movement among a subset of probably our listeners that it is inappropriate to have parties or to celebrate discovering the gender of your child because it presupposes that they want to stick with that gender and that you know this really have parties to celebrate the gender of their child anyway well they'll send out or they'll say you know it's a girl or they'll yeah and some people actually have parties when they find out the gender they'll say you know they'll bring you know gifts that are pink or blue or whatever in that kind of old school way um, but the theory here is that children should be really given a lot of latitude in this regard. Uh, now, I believe people should be allowed to make whatever choices they'd like to make in life, but this seems to be taking it just perhaps one step too far. Um, you know, maybe I'm going to get some some nasty emails on this, but um, uh, it's it, it does strike me that, I mean... Do, and you know. they send a few people down the rabbit hole of rage. Yes, where they'll find Ed Luce sitting at his desk in a yeah, cloud yeah, of vape. We'll all be there. Rabbit hole of rage. <laughs> yes, well, next time. Extended rabbit hole of rage. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, please join us again next week in the rabbit hole of rage. Ed, would you like to have your own podcast called the rabbit hole of rage? I think... <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll think on that one. Yeah, no, I think that could be a good one. Or you could just do specials, periodic little rants. You know, whenever you know you reach the boiling point, you just call Ian and say, you know, what you know, at one nine hundred rabbit hole of rage, and you say, I've, I've got to get this off my chest, and then you <laughs> vent, and then we send it out to deep state network, to deep state radio network listeners everywhere. Think how therapeutic that would be. Well. So you it's, think, it's worth thinking on. Yeah, you think about that. <laughs> well, you think about that, and Rosa, you think about naming your dog finally, and all of us will uh, think about joining you again next week. And if you haven't had enough of us, you know, go to deepstateradionetwork.com and listen to Washington for Beautiful People or National Security Magazine or uh, this week's special, you know, uh, episode that we did around the State of the Union called Mystery Politics Theater or read the stuff that's on the website or join up or get a mug or get some swag or send a gift certificate to your friends and support us so that there can be more conversations about zany experiences with our pets, um, which may be the next podcast we do also. Bye-bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.